have your Bibles, electronic devices, you can turn with me to John chapter 16, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. John chapter 16, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And, and we're going to look at a statement that Jesus made. And then, then in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, I believe Paul begins talking about it. It's like a commentary on this or how to flesh this out, how, how to live this out. And so take heart as this weekend. We'll, we'll finish it up next weekend. Uh, Palm uh, weekend, the, the weekend before Easter, I'll preach a message on the church at the cross and we have Easter. Easter, and then we'll come back here, and we'll finish up the book of Philippians together that I started earlier, the Philippians chapter 3, verse 4, if you like to read along. Uh, it's called The Good Life, and so that, that's kind of where we're headed. So this weekend and next weekend, we're going to look at this issue of take heart. We're going to look at this issue of the danger of losing heart, getting discouraged, getting disillusioned, uh, getting even to the place to where you just, you just absolutely, absolutely want to want to quit. Now, there's a, a famous basketball coach, uh, Coach uh, Bobby Knight. And Bobby Knight was known as being a pretty amped up guy and a pretty angry guy. And, and he caused a lot of problems on the basketball court. And many years ago, he was coaching a game there in the middle of a game. And after Bobby Knight re re received his third technical foul, uh, in his mind, it was because of poor officiating that was going on in the game. And so he gets his, his third technical foul. Uh, he gets thrown out of the game. He gets angry. He sends a chair across the court. And then he does the unthinkable. He calls his players off of the court with him. The players and Bobby Knight, they all walk off the court. Ten minutes are left on the clock. They all walk off the court. They leave the, stands, uh, in, the fans in the stands. And it was kind of an awkward two minutes as they tried to figure out what to do with this. And, and, and we all know Bobby Knight shouldn't have done that. And we all know Bobby Knight shouldn't have quit in the middle of the game. But haven't we all felt like that from time to time? Haven't we ever come to the place in, in an issue, a situation, a season of life that we have just felt like giving up, that we have just felt like just quitting? We have come to the place where we feel like, you know what, just, just what, 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 is, what is the use? Maybe for you it's in the task of parenting and you're finding no matter what you do, no matter what you say, your kids continue to resist and rebel. Maybe, maybe it's in the, in the, for you, maybe it's in the issue or the area of, of your marriage. Your marriage seems hopeless and frustrated to you. And it, it seems like no matter what you try or no matter what you say or no matter what you do, it just it doesn't seem to get better. Fact is, it seems to get worse. Maybe for you, it's in the responsibility at the office or the job site. And, and your job or your task just seems futile at this point. And, and you find yourself kind of going through the motions day in and day out. And, and you would really like to just, just walk off the court and just leave the fans in the stand. Maybe some of you this morning, you know what? You feel like quitting the Christian life. Uh, you started off with high hopes and great expectations of the Christian life, and all of a sudden you've hit your first rough, rough spot in the Christian life. You've hit your first difficult season in the Christian life, and it's kind of caught you off guard. And you've yielded to temptation again and again, and, and, and you, have been, you, you have had some problems and some issues, and, and you, think, you think this is really harder than it really should be, and you think, why even bother? Maybe, maybe you think just drop out of church and just give up and indulge in the sinful pleasures of, of this world and just, just live for your, yourself. And maybe you have a responsibility at church and you've served year in and year out and you, and you come to the place where you think, you know what, what, what is the use? There's all kinds of reasons people get disillusioned. There's all kinds of reasons people get disillusioned and quit. Bills mount up. Health challenges come. Health breaks. People get dis disillusioned and quit. John, Jesus in John chapter 16 is talking to the disciples and they're fixing to go through or as Texans would say they're fixing to you're about to go through a difficult season in your life you're about to go through a difficult time in your life and Jesus simply tells them you're, you're all going to be scattered and you're all going to be scattered into your own homes 
And, and, but I want you to hear these words. I want you to hear these things for it when it comes. I want you to, I want you to know this. And John tells them in John chapter six, 16, verse 33, here's what Jesus looked at them and said. He says, I've told you all this. I've prepared you for this. I've prepared you that you're going to through, go through a rough season. I have told you this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have trials and you will have sorrow. You'll have pain. You'll have disappointment. You'll have hurt. You'll go through those seasons of life. But, and then, then here's what he says, but take heart because I have overcome the world. In other words, Jesus is trying to help them because before this they said, well, we do believe. And Jesus is trying to help them. There's this belief thing. This belief is what you use in the furnace. Belief is what you use in the difficult seasons of life. The belief is what you use in the challenges of life. And Jesus is honest with them and up front and says, you're going to have hurt. You're going to have pain. You're going to have sorrow. But just come back to this. Just take heart. Just know that I have overcome the world. See, this word in, in the Greek is really one word. It's two words, of course, in the English language when he says take heart. But take heart is one Greek word, and it's a strong Greek, Greek word that simply means this. Just dare to believe. Just dare to believe. Just, 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 have, just have courage. In other words, dare to believe that you can trust me. Dare to believe that I love you. Dare to believe that I love you regardless of the situation, the sorrow, the hurt, that the pain, or the pain that you're going through. Come to the place to where you're courageous and you understand that I have overcome the world. In other words, it's this, it's this issue of having courage even in difficult seasons of life. Now listen, I... I needed an illustration really bad to try to illustrate this point. So over the week, so this last week, I asked the Google. I said, I need an illustration to help illustrate this. And I get it. I understand. I know most of my illustrations come out of the sports world. And some of you are trying to learn more and more about sports, so you understand my sports illustrations. But I, I will try to make this really, really clear. Uh, I, it, so I, I asked the Google, like, what was the worst defeat in, in, in the history of football? And here's what I found. In 1916, a Georgia Tech was playing a small college, Cumberland College. And they were playing a small, tiny college. And the Cumberland players were much smaller than the Georgia Tech players. Cumberland College didn't get one first down the whole game. And if you're a sports fan, that's a really bad thing. Uh, that is a well, fact is the score was even worse. You know what the score was? The score was 222 to nothing. Yeah, I mean... That's not a, as we'd say in Texas, that's not a whipping, that's a whooping. I mean, they got whooped, and they got whooped bad. And so in, in like in the, in the third quarter, one of the Cumberland College uh, running backs was running with the ball. He got hit by a larger Georgia Tech uh, uh, player. He fumbles the ball. The ball begins to roll, tumble towards another Cumberland player. And the Cumberland player is watching the ball. And he's not even, like, touching it. And so the running back looks at him and says, pick it up. Pick it up. And the other player looked back at him and says, you picked it up. You're the one that dropped it. <laughs> I mean, haven't you ever wanted to tell someone that when you're going through a rough season of life and somebody around you drops the ball, whether it's a spouse, whether it's a, a relationship, whether it's a friend, whether it's an employee of yours, whether it's, an, whether it's a supervisor of yours, whether it's a company, whatever, where somebody else has dropped the ball and they've caused a situation, a circumstance in life, haven't you wanted to tell them, you know what, you pick it up. You cause this. You pick it up. You're the one that, that dropped it. And so, so we all know how he felt. And there's times in life that situations look hopeless. But what Jesus is saying is, is, is take heart. Don't lose heart. Just please remember that I have overcome the world. Paul would render it this way in Second, or, I'm sorry, Galatians 6, 9. He says, and let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. 
In other words, there's something about this spirit. There's something about this issue of saying, you know what? Regardless of what happens, I'm not going to give up. Regardless of what happens, I'm not going to quit. Regardless of what happens, I'm going I'm, I'm to stay the course. And the people that I've come to appreciate through the years are many times by world standards, not the most flashy of people, even the most gifted of people. But the people that I've come to appreciate in this stage of life and is people that just don't give up. Year after year, they're faithful. Year after year, they're at their post. And they're dependable. They're the, they, these are the people that will make an organization or a church successful because they're just the people that just won't give up. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, I believe, is a commentary on in John chapter 16. I, I think the greatest commentary of Scripture is Scripture itself. And so, G, so Paul is trying to flesh out these words, take heart, that Jesus said in John chapter 16. And so over the course of the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at these 16 verses. And twice in these 16 verses in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul says, we do not lose heart. In other words, it's an imperative. It's a command. We do not lose heart. And he keeps reminding them of that. 2 Corinthians 4.8, he says, we're afflicted in every way. In other words, we go through difficult times, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair. The Living Bible would say it this way. It says, I, I may be knocked down, but I am not knocked out. And so we live in a world of burnout and disloyalty, and I believe we need to rediscover Paul's secrets in this chapter about what it means not to give up, what it means to stay the course in the circumstance and the situations that God has placed us in. This morning, I, I have three principles for you, and the next week we'll, we'll finish this up. The first one is this. If, if we're going to take heart, we take heart because we have a responsibility. We take heart because what Paul says, <coughs> excuse me, because what Paul says is we have been given a responsibility. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1, Paul says, he says, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not. We do not lose heart. Lose heart means to be discouraged. Lose heart becomes to this, where we come to this place where we're disheartened, we're discouraged, we, we, we lose spirit. This morning I want to talk to you about a word that many would say is a nasty four-letter word. There was a time when this was a good word. There were generations when this was a good word. But, but I believe we've come to a place in a culture, I believe we've come to a place to where we, we hate this four-letter word. We hate talking about this four-letter word, and we, we really hate when a pastor or a church brings this four-letter word up. This four-letter word is spelled D-U-T-Y, duty. Paul would say, by the mercy of God, we have a, we have a duty. We have a responsibility. Don't we hate that word sometimes? When someone says you have a responsibility. When someone says you have a, a duty to do this, whether you feel like it or, or not. Here some people say, you know what, I, I, I just quit going to church. Because I didn't want to do it out of duty. I didn't want to do it out of responsibility. I didn't, I didn't want to do it out of an obligation. I quit putting in extra time at the office or the job site. Because you know what? I, I didn't really enjoy it any longer. I wasn't really into it. And I didn't want to just keep doing it because I felt obligated. I felt like it was a duty. I felt like it was a responsibility. I, I didn't want to stay in this marriage out of a sense of obligation or out of a sense of duty. 
I quit because I felt like it was a, it was a duty. I, I didn't want to continue to give. Because I didn't want to do it out of an obligation. I didn't want to do it because I was forced to. I didn't want to do it because it was a duty. I think one of the reasons there's so much irresponsibility today is because we have convinced ourselves that life is supposed to be pleasant all of the time. In the 80s, there was a popular bumper sticker that read, if it feels good, do it. We've kind of come to the place in life to where, where we said, if it doesn't feel good, don't do it. Don't do anything out of responsibility. Don't do anything out of duty. And we come to a place in our, in our society where we think anytime we, we do something that goes contrary to the way we feel, we're acting like a hypocrite, but nothing could be farther from the truth. Most of life is fulfilling a duty. Most of life is fulfilling a responsibility. You show up at work whether you feel like it or not. Doing your job to the very best of your ability with excellence, whether you feel like it or not. Disciplining, disciplining your children, and when, even when you would it'd be easier to turn your head and look the other way. Performing quality work with excellence, even when you're tired. Life is not all fun and games. It's what Jesus was trying to help the disciples understand. It's what Paul is trying to help us understand. Life is not all full of fun and games. And enthusiasm and joy in life runs out on occasion. When you look at Scripture, you realize the real test of maturity is when you keep going when you have lost your joy. You keep going when you've lost your enthusiasm. You keep going because by what Paul said, by this mercy, we'll understand that, by this mercy of God, we have been given this responsibility. We have been given this duty not to lose heart. Chadwick Roberts says this, Character is the ability to stay with a resolution long after the, the mood in which the resolution was made has left. I, I got to tell you, as your pastor, sometimes I, sometimes I go to work in the morning uh, because I, I cannot wait to get there. And I cannot wait for, uh, to, to do the tasks that are ahead of me. But I also got to tell you the opposite of true. There, there are those few days, there are those times, and there are those occasions that I, that I come to work out of a sense of duty, out of a sense of responsibility. And sometimes I come to church on the weekends, and you know what? I cannot wait to get here. I cannot wait to preach the message that God has given me. I cannot wait to worship and to sing with you, and all the things come with that. And, but then there are those isolated times that I come out of a sense of duty, come out of a sense of responsibility. There are times that I come to church when, quite honestly, I'd much rather pull the covers up over my head and just pal tell Pastor Chad, why don't you sing for the whole service? <laughs> I don't feel like singing. I don't feel like shaking hands. I don't feel like smiling. And I don't feel like preaching. But I do it out of a sense of duty. Those are few and far between. But Paul tells us, do not lose heart. Ecclesiastes 12:13 says, "The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man." And so I come to church because the Bible commands me to come to church. Hebrews 10:24 says, "And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as, as is the habit of some." but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So I come, and I smile, and I shake hands, 
Because the Bible tells me to be kind to one another. I sing and I make a joyful noise to the Lord. I preach because the Bible commands me to preach the word in and out of season when you feel like it and when you don't feel like it. Where do we ever get this idea that enthusiasm for a task returns when we quit? You know what I find? I find when I go through the motions, when I come out of responsibility, when I come out of duty, something happens in my heart, and my spirit begins to pick up again. See, we've come to believe in this culture that if we, if we get tired of something, then you just have to back off or quit so you can be rejuvenated. And I, and I understand we need to rest, and I understand we need vacations, but sometimes in this culture, burnout is an excuse for irresponsibility, and burnout is an excuse for not living out duty. Paul says again in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. See, Paul realized that he had a responsibility greater than his own personal feelings. He had a responsibility greater than his own personal uh, emotions. I, I just got to tell you, there, there, are, there are some subjects that, that I preach uh, here at Fellowship the Rockies that are not my favorite. And I get it. I understand you've been real clear with me. There's some subjects I preach here that aren't your favorite either. That's one of the reasons, you know, that's one of the reasons we preach, I preach through a book because it forces me to preach the subjects that I like and the subjects that aren't my, aren't my favorite. And I hope you could never tell. I hope you could never be able to tell which are my favorite and which are my least favorite because the Bible commands us and the Bible commands me to preach the whole counsel of God's word in season and out of season. I mean, when you look at this issue, there, there are, there are, there are some subjects of Scripture that are never our favorite, but, but we've, we, we have to understand the whole counsel of God's Word. And there may be those times that, that when, you look at, when you look at the Apostle Paul's life and you realize, Apostle Paul, there's some things that Paul didn't feel like doing. There's probably some things that Paul didn't have a lot of enthusiasm for. Uh, in fact, is there probably a few times that Paul went to prison he didn't feel like going to prison. There may have been a few times that it didn't feel good to be beaten. It didn't feel good to be ridiculed and made fun of and mocked and shipwrecked for his faith, for doing the right things. But when you look at Paul's life, Paul refused to quit because Paul says, I have this duty by the mercy of God because of what God has done for me. He has given me salvation. He's given me eternal life. I have this I have, this, I have this duty. In other words, I have this duty, I have this responsibility, I have this ministry to take the gospel to, to the world. That's why he says, by the, by the mercy of God. In other words, Paul remembered. Paul remembered what it was like before Christ. Paul remembered that, you know what? I deserve death. I was the one that was persecuting Christians. I was the one trying to do everything I could to, st to stamp out the work of Jesus Christ. And yet Jesus Christ met me in my pain. He met me right where I was. And he gave me mercy. He forgave me. And because of that, I have forgiveness of sin. Because of that, I have eternal life. And as a result of that, he says, I have this responsibility. I'm, I'm sure Jesus didn't really feel like going to the cross because it, because it felt good. In fact, if you study the life of Jesus, you realize that in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus, I mean, Jesus agonized with that. He prayed to where he prayed uh, to where he had uh, uh, sweated drops of blood. And he prayed and he asked the Father, he said, if there's any way this cup can pass before me, let it be. And yet Jesus went to the cross because it was his responsibility. Fact is, if you, stand, if you study the seven last phrases, the seven last 
words of Christ on the cross, you will realize he talks about this issue of duty. He talks about this issue of responsibility. That's why Paul says, having this mercy, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. Here's what I have found in my life. Those mornings that I'd rather pull the covers up over my head those seasons of life that are hard and difficult and I come out of a sense of responsibility I come out of a sense of duty those are the weekends I need him the most and when we start singing songs reminding us Take heart. I've overcome this world. We start singing songs like Good, Good Father. And we're all searching for answers. And you know the answers before we even ask. Before we even state them. That you're a good, good father. Perfect in all of your ways. Even when our circumstances or situations are less than perfect. I've wondered in three services now that when we're singing Good, Good Father, how, how many people in this room are making a declaration, making a statement, and their circumstances and your situations are less than perfect, and you have a lot of questions, and yet you're standing in the midst of a congregation, and you're making a declaration. You're a good, good father. You're perfect in all of your ways. And you remind yourself that I am, I, am, I am loved by him. I am loved by him regardless of what my circumstances, regardless of what my situations are telling me. Because your feelings, your circumstances, your situations, they will lie to you. That something happens in your spirit when you begin singing those songs. And most of the times I come, the majority of the times, come out of a sense of joy. But there are those seasons when you come out of a sense of duty and God does something in your heart. And that's why, that's why we don't lose heart. The second thing for take heart is this, is, is we take heart because the heart is what matters. We take heart because the heart is what matters. If you follow your heart, heart it will, I promise you, it will lead to disaster. If you follow your heart, it, it may lead you to comfort. It may lead you to taking the easy way out. It may lead you to taking the easy road. But I promise you, your heart will never lead you to peace. Your heart will never lead you to peace. Your heart will never lead you to comfort. And there is a, there is a battle going on. And I don't know if you, there's a battle going on for your heart. And you take heart because the heart is what matters. Paul goes on, 2 Corinthians 4, and he says, But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. In other words, if you're, if you're going to be a faithful person, you have got to be real. You have got to be authentic. You can Listen, you can only pretend so long. You can only pretend so long to be somebody that you're not. And I'm telling you, trying to be fake is exhausting. 
There is something worse than being worn out, and that is being found out. I read the story here a while back. It was a USA Today article. I just, I just clipped the title or clipped the article and kept it for a number of years because I enjoyed the article. And it was a story about a, a local butcher in a, in, a, in, a, in a store, and it was about closing time, and he had, he had one, chicken, one whole chicken left. And, and so this lady came in. He was just about ready to close again. And, and so she says, you know what, I, 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 I'd like that chicken. She says, I, I need a three-pound chicken. We're having guests. I need a three-pound chicken. So he took the chicken out. He threw it up on the scale, and the chicken weighed two and a half pounds. And so she says, ah, oh, she says, I, I, so, I so needed a three-pound chicken. And he says, well, well hang on. No worries. I'll, I'll go see what I have in the back. He takes the chicken with him. He goes into the back. He takes the cavity of the chicken, takes a bunch of ice, and he stuffs the cavity of the chicken with a bunch of ice. He comes back out with the same chicken. He throws the chicken up on the scale, and this time the chicken weighs three pounds, exactly three pounds. And she says, great. She says, now that I think about it, I'll take both chickens. <laughs> There's something worse than being worn out, and that is being found out. If you try to be something that you're not, you, I'm telling you, you will either exhaust yourselves or you will, you will be found out, you'll be discovered. Either way, if you're not real, if you're not authentic, you will not finish the course. You will quit. Listen, I, I think this is one of the problems of the local church is a misunderstanding of the, de the definition when someone hears faithful or what a, what a faithful person is. Faithfulness is not about perfection. It's about being available for God to use. It was said at Billy Graham's funeral in one of the eulogies, I think his, his oldest son, <clears throat> uh, made this statement and says, my dad was, my dad was fat. Uh, he said, I don't know if you know this, but my dad was fat, and that's what allowed him to, to have a, a long ministry to where he was never, never did any corruption, never, you know, he, all of these things, and, and he finished the course, and he says, fat simply means faithful, available, and teachable. My father was faithful, available, and teachable. Was he perfect? No. In fact, as all the kids said that, my dad was not perfect, but he was faithful, available, and teachable. He's fat. Had a lady after the 5 o'clock Saturday night service says, Hey, Pastor, I really like that, but, but we as women, we don't like to be called fat. Could we, could we call it something else? And so I says, Okay, how about fit? Faithful, intentional, teachable. So whether you want to be fit or fat does not matter to me. <laughs> but Billy Graham was faithful. He is available and teachable. I, I just want you to hear me. Faithful does not mean, I'm, I'm going to give you the biblical definition of, of what it means, but faithful just out of a scripture so that, so that you see where it's from. Faithful does not mean perfection. I think that's what keeps a lot of people out of ministry. That's what keeps a lot of people from serving in a local church. They, all of a sudden they come to believe, guess what? Faithful means to be, be perfect. See, that, that like, that's like religion, right? Religion is this when you try to be someone that you're not. Religion is this formality without any life change. In other words, it's the appearance of perfection. It's the appearance that I got everything together. When the inside of the cup is not clean, when the inside of the cup, if you're going to stay the course, you have to be authentic. You have to be real. So Proverbs 24, 16, here's the definition of faithful, just so we're, just so we're tracking this morning. Uh, here's what he says. He says, for the righteous fall seven times and rises again. But the wicked stumble in times of calamity. Righteous falls, that's just another word for faithful. The definition of a faithful person, a faithful person is, a, is not a person who never falls. A faithful person is a person that when they stumble, when they fall, they get back up. They don't quit. They don't lose heart. 
When you study Paul's life, you'll realize Paul was far from perfect. Paul had a lot of imperfections. Guess what? There's only one perfect person that has walked this earth. His name is Jesus Christ. Paul was not perfect. Faithfulness is this. This is what the Living Bible said earlier. I may be knocked down, but I am not knocked out. I may fall down, but I will, I will get back up. And that's why Paul says that, that, I, that I don't use any shameful or underhanded ways. I don't distort the word of God. I don't change the word of God for my agenda or push my agenda. I, I have trust that it is his word. And as a result of that, I just stand on his word. The problem is sometimes pride is at work in someone's life. And they're proud of their intellect. They're proud of their talent. They're proud of their knowledge. And they do not see God's word as an authority in their life. And Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. But human pride will reject Jesus and, and all of a sudden crowns themselves as authority. And so then they're the ones that determine which scriptures are true and which scriptures are not true. Whether the Bible's the word of God, whether the Bible's not the word of God. Human pride will suppress the Bible and say, I am the authority. I decide what's right. I decide what's wrong. I decide the scriptures that, that are right. I decide the scriptures that shouldn't be there. And I decide who God is. I decide what God is like. And Paul says, Paul says, I just, I just stand on the word. And I speak the truth even when it hurts someone's feelings. Truth is seldom vague. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 2, he says, But we have renounced disgraceful and underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cutting or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. In other words, as a pastor and as a preacher, and some people may not like it, but it is my job to tell the truth as clearly as I can. Proverbs 26.1 says this. It says, declare me innocent, O Lord, for I have acted with integrity. And I've trusted in the Lord without wavering. Listen, to have integrity means you trust in God. And you don't have to manipulate. You don't have to deceive because you trust in God and not yourself. You tell the truth in love and you trust God for the results. And Paul said, my message may be unclear to some who are perishing because God has, or because the God of this age has blinded their minds and their hearts. Second Corinthians 4, 7 says, and I love this. It says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the suppressing power belongs to God and not to us. See, in, in, in Paul's day, it was customary. They didn't have banks. They didn't have safes. And so they would take their, they would take their, their, their valuables, their valuable treasures, and they would place them in unimpressive jars in the home, hoping that it wouldn't be suspect if someone breaks into their home. And Paul would simply say, we're like those jars of clay with cracks and imperfections. And it's not what is on the outside, it's what's on the inside. It's not on the, what's on the outside that makes it valuable, it's, it's, on the, it's, on the, it's on the inside. In other words, people that are prideful always point to the outside instead of the inside. And Paul says, the impressive thing about us is not these jars of clay. The impressive thing about us is who lives in us, which is Jesus Christ. In other words, we don't claim to have all the answers, but Jesus Christ does. And so you, you have to be real. You have to be authentic. The last thing is this, is take heart because the heart is for the taking. Take heart because the heart is for the taking. I've already said there is a war going on for your heart. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. All through the Bible, they, the Bible tells us that there's supernatural evil force that, it, that, is, that is against us and seeking to ruthlessly devour us, known as Satan, the devourer, the devil, the God of this age. 
Simon Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. In other words, he seeks to devour us in several ways with the cares and the worries of this world. Seeks to blind our minds or use false teachers to distort the word of God to make it confusing for us. Paul writes to 2 Timothy and says, always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of truth. What I'm saying this morning is, is don't lose heart. Jesus said in John 16, 31 through 33, we'll read the whole to get the context he said. And Jesus answered them, do you believe? Behold, the hours is coming. Indeed, it is come when you will be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone. For the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have tribulation. Take heart. I have overcome the world. Do you believe? Do you trust him? Dare to live an obedient life. Dare to believe that Jesus is really God. And he's really from the Father. Dare to believe that his word is true, it is infallible, you can trust him. Dare to live and dare to, leave, uh, to believe and to be obedient in season and out of season and knowing regardless of your circumstances, regardless of your situation this morning, that you are, you are loved by the Father, that he died for you and he is now representing you to the Father. Maybe your life isn't going the way you want it to. And you're mad and say, because of all these circumstances, because of all these situations, because of all these things I'm walking through, if he loved me, this wouldn't be happening. Don't get your theology from your circumstances. Dare to believe. Take heart. He has overcome the world. And he loves you. Live this life and know that you are loved by him. That he, is a, that he is a good, good father. That he is perfect in all of his ways. And I am loved by him. That's who I am. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes?